goes through you guys need to, to say turn turn it over turn it over so we'll, we'll get we'll do that uh, that's not a sign to stop that's a sign to turn it over and keep on going so uh, if you got your bibles turn with in matthew chapter 21 as we're going to look at another parable that jesus tells we're in the last week of his life really down to the last days of his life and he's in the temple and he's starting to tell stories and he's going to tell three stories and we looked at the first one last week we're going to look at the second one this week and this one last week may have been a fun one I I enjoyed it this week isn't nearly as fun I'm not going to sugarcoat it this one isn't one of the most liked parables it's one of the uh, not one of the most popular it is a parable of judgment as Jesus tells us here and he tells them he tells us what happens if you reject him so that's the title of the sermon, and I, I want you to, to get that. I want you to know what happens if you reject Jesus Christ. And if you have accepted him, you believe in him, you follow him, I want you to know what's going to happen to those you know out there who have rejected him. This is a parable of judgment. It's not going to be fun, uh, but it's going to be true. We're going to look at what happens if you personally reject Jesus Christ. So let's stand together. I want to read these verses to you. Matthew 21, it's a, it's a longer passage. Starting in verse 33, going to verse 46, and we're going to work our way through this as Jesus tells, and he was going to say that in the first part of the verse, another parable, a lot like the last one he told. So he says in verse 33, and these are, this is the word of God. Verse 33, here another parable. There was a certain householder which planted a vineyard, and he hedged it around about, and he digged a wine press in it, and built a tower, and let it out to husbandmen, and went into a far country. And when the time, was, the time of the fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the husbandmen that they might receive the fruits of it. And the husbandmen took his servants and beat one and killed another and stoned another. And again, he sent, he sent other servants, more than the first, and they did unto them likewise. But last of all, he sent unto them his son, saying, surely, I'm adding that, they'll reverence my son. When the husband saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and let us seize on his inheritance. And they caught him, and they cast him out of the vineyard, and they slew him. And when the Lord therefore of the vineyard cometh, what will he do unto those husbandmen? That's a question. And those who were listening there said, they, they say unto him, He will miserably destroy those wicked men. And then he will let out his vineyard unto other husbandmen, which shall render, render him the fruits in their seasons. And Jesus, Jesus saith unto them, Did you never read the Scriptures? The stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore I say unto you, The kingdom of God shall be taken from you, and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. And whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken. But on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him 
to powder. And when the chief priests and the Pharisees had heard this, his parables, they perceived that he spake of them. But when they sought to lay hands on him, they feared the multitude because they took him for a prophet. This is a parable of judgment. As we see here today, what happens if somebody rejects the Lord Jesus Christ? Very sobering, very serious, very sad, and very scary. So let's pray together and we'll study this passage. Father, we thank you for this passage in front of us today. I know it's not easy, but it's the next passage we're supposed to study. It's just the next in line. Not every sermon's like this, not every passage is like this, but here in front of us today is a parable of judgment. And I think it's very important. I think it's very necessary. People need to know the reality of what happens if they reject Christ. So God, help me to to preach that today, to show that very clearly, that it's a terrible ending for those who reject Christ. And help me, God, to do it with the right tone, with the right heart. I will not want to preach this in a mean way at all. I don't preach this with a smile on my face. I preach this with a broken heart, knowing that there's many people in the world who's rejecting Christ. And there may be some in here today that are rejecting Christ. So God, let us see this and let this passage open the eyes of those who are rejecting your son. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. I was in Bristol the other day, and I come across a man we, we met for the first time. And in, in introducing ourselves, he asked me a, a, really a question that everybody gets when you meet somebody. He asked me, what do you do for a living? And I answered, you know, I, I, I said, I'm, I'm a preacher. I'm a pastor in Big Stone Gap, Virginia. And his next question kind of caught me off guard. I told him I was a preacher. And he looked at me and he said, you're not one of those hellfire and brimstone preachers, are you? <laughs> And my, my initial response wanted to be, well, is there any other kind? And, but that, 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 I didn't say that because I knew what he was thinking. I knew what he was asking. I, I, he, was, he was talking about hellfire and brimstone preacher as in one of those preachers who never talk about the H word. They never say the word hell in their sermons. That, that's what he, are you one of those guys who preaches about hell all the time? Are you one of those guys? He, he didn't want that. He said, are you one of those guys? That's what, in that question, and I, maybe I'm reading into it, I don't know. Are you one of those guys who talks about hell every single sermon? Are you one of those guys who gets all worked up and starts screaming and hollering and pointing fingers and talking about the judgment of God? That all men are bad and that God is mad and you better believe in His Son. Is that the kind of preacher you are? Are you talking about sin? Are you making people feel guilty? Are, are you making people uh, uh, sad in sermons? Are you one of those hellfire and brimstone preachers? And he didn't mean that as a compliment. Again, he was talking about hellfire and brimstone preachers in a derogatory way. Because nobody in our world today was a hellfire and brimstone preacher. A preacher that talks about hell and judgment a preacher talks about sin and, and guilt and our standing before God and how you hold all of us accountable as we stand before Him one day is not a popular thing. Pulpits in America today are missing hellfire and brimstone preachers. They, will, they don't want sinners in the hands of an angry God. No, you don't want none of that at all. I mean, stay away from that at all costs. We want our best life now. We want positive and we want encouraging. We do not want hellfire and brimstone in our culture today. But I'll say this. In our world we're living in today, we need more hellfire and brimstone preachers. 
That's what we need. We need the Jonathan Edwards of our day. We need men to stand up and preach that hell is hot and that there's a way out and His name is, is Jesus Christ. We need hellfire and brimstone preachers. We need to say the word that there is a hell in, in, the, in the pulpits today. We need that. We need to talk about sin and its punishment and judgment and damnation. And we need to open up the way of salvation to anyone who believes in Jesus. We need to follow the example of Jesus, who was the greatest hellfire and brimstone preacher that ever lived. I went back to Matthew 5, just last night, about midnight. I said, I'm going to read the Sermon on the Mount one more time. And I went through and I took me a red ink pen and I marked every time he mentioned judgment, damnation, and hell. Eight times in one sermon, Jesus mentioned damnation and hell. Because I wanted to go back, I, 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 again, I, I'm, I'm getting up here today and I'm thinking, there's going to be people watching online, the last thing they want is a hellfire and brimstone sermon. And there's going to be people here today, maybe, maybe that don't like that sort of thing. And, and I'm sitting there in my study thinking, is this what I need to preach today? So I went back and I said, is this what Jesus preached? And I got done with the Sermon on the Mount and I said, you know what? I'm going in with guns blazing. I'm going to preach a hellfire and brimstone sermon. That's what you need. That's what Jesus did. And we don't do it because it's fun. Understand that. I've seen hellfire and brimstone preachers get up with a smile on their face and preach that you're going to hell. We don't do it because it's fun. We do it because people need to hear what happens if they reject Jesus. That's why we preach it. That's why Jonathan Edwards preached it. That's why Charles Spurgeon was a hellfire and brimstone preacher. That's why I stand up here today, not because it's fun, but because my heart breaks for those who are rejecting Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing here today. He's warning them. He's showing them. He's pleading with them about their rejection of Him. He's in the temple. It's the last week. It's the final days. I think it's an urgent time. I think as Jesus comes into the, into the, to Jerusalem in Matthew 21 on His triumphal entry, I think from that point on, everything is urgent. Everything is, is you gotta do it now. I think there's urgency in His voice. As he deals with these religious leaders who've rejected him. As he deals with the crowds that are around him. And how does he do it? I love the way. And this is what I want to be. I want to preach hellfire and brimstone, but I want to do it like Jesus does it. And Jesus does it, not in a mean way, not in a mad way, but in a very compassionate way. He sits down with them and he tells them a simple story that reveals to them a surprising truth. That's a parable. Here it is. And he ultimately lets them condemn themselves through this story. So last week we looked at how they responded to Jesus. And this week we're going to look at what happens if you reject him. And again, this is a hellfire and brimstone sermon. Like it or not, this is how Jesus preached. And this is how we're going to preach. What do you call a hellfire and brimstone preacher? A Bible preacher. So let's preach the Bible this morning, looking at this parable. What happens if you reject Jesus Christ? I'm going to give you three points. The outline is pretty much the same as the last parable. I would assume the next parable next week will be basically the same outline. So let's look at the, the first point as we look at the, the sad story that Jesus tells. And he does tell a sad story. It's a very familiar scene to them, not to us. But I'm going to look at verses 33 through 39 and this story that he tells. A sad story that Jesus tells. Verse 33 says, here's another parable, which means another just like the last. And there was a, he says, a certain householder, a very, very, very rich man, had a plot of land 
And he sat back and he said, you know, what am I going to do with this land? And he made up his mind. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to build me a vineyard. I'm going to, I'm going to square it off and I'm going to plant me a vineyard and I'm going to have grapevines and I'm going to have, I'm going to have all kinds of fruit that comes out of it. So he says, I'm going to build me a vineyard. And, and Israel was full of vineyards. Vineyard was a, a symbol of Israel like an eagle is a symbol of America. So I'm going to plant me a, a beautiful vineyard. I'm the owner of the land. I'm going to build this. And watch how he builds it. He planted the vineyard, and then he takes great care of it so that nobody's going to come and do anything to it. He, he hedges it around, which means he put, uh, it could be a fence that he put around. Sometimes they say they put cactuses around it, or they build a moat around it. Pretty sure it didn't have alligators in it, but they might have had a moat around it. So they could protect their, their vineyard. So he did that, and then he puts a wine press in the middle of it, a hole in the ground for him to, to stomp his grapes, and then he builds a tower in the middle of it, that would be a place where he could go up into the top and watch what's happening and be the security of the vineyard. You, you getting the picture with me now? We've got a vineyard that's planted with all the vines and the grapes that will be growing. He's got a fence around it. He's got a, a hole in the ground in the middle of it so he can stomp his, his grapes and, and, and make wine out of it. And he built him a, a high tower in the middle of it so he can have security. And then watch what he does with it. He puts all this money, all this time into his vineyard and he says, I'm going to leave. I'm going into a far country. This guy has all kinds of money. So I'm going to go into a far country and I'm going to leave it to some vineyard experts. I'm going to rent it out to them. I'll pay them to do some work and they'll take care of it while I'm gone. And when I come back, they'll get their part and I'll get my part and it'll work out well. I'm going to leave it to them. I'm going to rent it out to hired hands. And he leaves. And he says, I'll come back. And I'm going to get what's owed to me. This is a first-rate vineyard with expert gardeners, and he walks away. And while he was gone, and then commentaries would say it would take four to five years for anything to grow there. You know, you put the seeds in the ground. It's not going to grow like that. So he left them there to, to, to take care of it, and he was gone for you know who knows how long. And finally, he says, four or five years later, it's time. There should be some fruit on my vines. So I'm going to send some servants back to collect what's mine, to collect what's owed to me. And I don't know if they would give him money or they would give him the grapes or what they would give him, but there was a deal that was made between those experts and the, and the owner. So he sends a servant back and he says, I want you to collect what's owed to me. I want you to go to them and say, now's the time I need you to give me what my boss deserves. So how do they respond to the servants? Verse 34, when the time of the fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the husbandmen that they might receive the fruits of it, the pay, what, he, what he's owed. Here's how they responded to the owner. How you respond to the servant is how you respond to the owner. So the servant comes, the first one, and, he, and I don't know how it worked, but he'd come and he'd say, the master has sent me, and he wants what's owed to him. You have it, give it to me. The master said. He didn't come and say what he said. He came to tell them what the master had said. Maybe he had papers proving that, that he was one of the servants. Here's what the master has said. The master said this, and the, the master said this, and the master said this. And you must do what the, the master says. He's the owner. He's the authority. He's the one that set this up for you. You must give him what he deserves. What he demands. And what they do to the first servant? They beat him bloody. You see that? They beat him. 
I mean, this guy walked away, couldn't see out of either eyes. It was like he was in an MMA fight. He walked away, maybe had needed stitches over one eye. I mean, no teeth. This guy was, was bloodied. It, it was, it was ugly. He was, he was bruised. He goes back to the owner and says, look what they did to me. They didn't listen to a word I said. So he says, I'll send another. <laughs> and what did they do to the second one? Verse 35. He killed him. And this would be the word kill there would be quick. He showed up, and I don't even think he, that he got to open up the, he, here's what the master says. They got the, he comes walking in there, you know, kill you. <laughs> he didn't even get to go back. I'm sitting there thinking the master ought to not send another servant. Can you imagine the master going to look at his servant saying, who wants to volunteer to go do this next time? So he sends a third one. Look what happens to him. They stoned him. And this wouldn't be, I've told you this before, this wouldn't be picking up little pebbles and saying, get out of here. <laughs> you know, They would drop boulders on men. From ten feet in the air, drop a boulder on his chest. They stoned him. This guy didn't go walking back. They refused to answer to the householder. They refused to do what he says. And then it says in verse 36, and again, he sent other servants, more than the first. So he just kept on sending them. I mean, he's sending a bunch of them over and over and over, servant after servant after servant. I'm reading this, and I think they're listening to this, and they're hearing the story, and they're saying, that owner needs to quit sending people. It's not working. It's out of hand. Go take care of it yourself. Wipe these people out. That's what we should always be saying. But the owner doesn't do that. Watch what the owner does. The owner didn't stop. Verse 37, but last of all, he sent unto them, and this is the last appeal. This is the highest appeal. This is the greatest appeal. I'll say this, this is their last chance. This is it. I don't know how many times he tried. We've, we've seen three, and it says, and even more after that. So he, he's gone the, the second mile. He's gone the third mile. He's gone the fourth mile. He just keeps on going. He, he, he's patient with those people. And then finally he says, I'm going to send my son. I hope you guys are following with me on this. I'm going to send my son. Mark 12, same story, says I'm going to send him my only son. Luke 20 says, I'm going to send them my beloved son. Same story. I'm going to send them the only son and the son of my beloved. The one that I love more than anything else in the world. I'm going to send them my most prized possession. And I want you to see that this son is different than the servant. Understand that. This son is the heir. This son is the one with all the, the father's authority. This son is the one that owns it all. This son doesn't have to come in there and say, this is what the owner said. The son gets to show up and speak as if he's the father. With all authority. The son stands out from all other servants who has come before him. The son is the heir. The son is the big deal. The son is the last chance. And, and, and the, the father says, Maybe they'll reverence my son. Maybe they'll come to their senses and change their mind. And it doesn't say it, but we know more about this story. The son doesn't go hesitantly. The son isn't forced. The son doesn't come with an army to go to war and fight these people. 
The son comes ready to forgive those who killed the servants. Maybe even the son rides in on a donkey with crowds around and cheering for the son, saying, Hosanna in the highest. And the son comes riding in. And what do they do to the son? Just follow this story. They see him coming. You see that? When the husband saw the son, they said amongst themselves, knowing full well who he is. They make a plan. We'll catch him. We'll cast him out of the vineyard. And we'll cruelly kill him. You see it? I'm just... They saw the son. They said amongst themselves, this is the heir. See that? They knew exactly who he was. Come, let us kill him. Let us seize on his inheritance. And they did exactly that. They caught him. They cast him outside the city or the vineyard. And they cruelly killed him. You say, Joshua doesn't say they cruelly killed him. We know exactly what they did to the son. The story shows, and I ask this question because I'm getting ready to move on. Who in the world would do such a thing? This story shows how they had responded to God's servants or prophets and now to God's son. Two truths here and I'll move on. Do you see the evil of these men? They didn't just reject, they brutally rejected. They were bloodthirsty people. This is a picture here uh, of of Israel and I believe even a picture of of all mankind and how they respond to Jesus and and brutally reject Jesus. In the Old Testament, uh, it says that Isaiah, which was one of God's prophets, they sown him in half. That's not just we reject you. Isaiah came saying, here's what God has said. I'm not speaking for myself. I speak for God. And they sowed sowed him in half. Jeremiah, they put him in a pit and stoned him. Micah, they smashed him in the face. John the Baptist, who we've talked about several times already, rejected him and he ultimately ends up with his head cut off. And now the sun shows up and they brutally torture him and put him on a cross and crucify him. This is a picture of how mankind has rejected God's servants. And ultimately, God's son. Mankind is always trying to silence what God says. And if they can't silence them by telling them to, to be quiet, they'll throw them in jail. And if they can't throw them in jail, they'll stone them. If, they can't, if stoning doesn't stop them, then they'll kill them. Anything to keep from hearing from God. We're living in a society today that will do anything to stop from hear, hearing from God. Silence! We don't want to hear it! Anybody who stands up and says, here's what God said, is an outcast today. Just like it was then. People don't want to hear from God. They don't want to hear what God says. So you must silence God's messengers. That's exactly what they did, and it is evil. Let me show you a second truth, and I've got to move on. My hourglass is running out. I don't want to just show you the evil of these men. I want to show you the unbelievable patience of God. 
I don't know if you saw that, but that this is the, the shocking part of the story. That, that The people who are listening to Jesus are saying, I can't believe the owner is doing that. The owner should have stopped after one. The owner should have definitely stopped after two. The owner should have never sent a third. And the owner should have never sent his son. Nobody would ever do that unless he was the most merciful and kind and patient man that's ever lived. That's who God is. He kept sending and sending and sending and ultimately sends His only beloved begotten Son. Oh, what patience our God has. That He goes the extra mile and and even the extra mile. Even after we reject and after we say no and after we, we, we don't have anything to do with Him, He still sends messengers. Wow. That's shocking. And it shows me and I, I'm belaboring this point that God does not delight in judgment. Understand that. God doesn't enjoy punishing. Do you see that? He, I told you, I think last week with me and my kids, they'll do something wrong and I'll say, I'll give you one more chance. Okay, Dad. And then it's almost immediately they go and do it again. And they come back and I'm thinking, I just, I just told them I'd punish them if they did it again. But I'll give you another chance. And then after about 10, 15, 20, 25 times, I still let them go. And why is that? I do not like punishing my children. God does not enjoy judgment. He doesn't give up. He wants people to believe. And He did everything possible to give them a chance. Just like Noah. What was it, 120 years that Noah preached righteousness? God could have wiped them out like that, but 120 years and he finally said enough. And today, it's God's mercy that he hasn't destroyed America yet. It's mercy. He's doing everything, giving everyone a chance. Watch this. Let me read this verse and I'll move on. 2 Peter 3 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but he's long suffering to us. Not willing that any should perish, that all should come to repentance. That's the heart of God. You say, why hasn't he returned yet? It's his patience, his long suffering, it's mercy that God hasn't wiped any of us out yet. So there's the sad story that Jesus tells. And let me take you to the second point. The serious question that he asks. The serious, and it is a serious question. As you look at verse 40, He stops the story. He looks them in the eyes and he asks them a very serious and a very direct question. And here it is. He says, when the Lord, which is the Master, when He comes, and He is coming, when the owner comes back, when the one with authority shows up, what's He going to do? Jesus is making them the judge and the jury. You tell me. We did this last week. He's not saying it. He's looking at them saying, what do you think should happen here? What do you think these men deserve? That's the question here. And he gives them no options. We've, we've seen questions that he's asked earlier on and he'll give them A or B. He's given them multiple choice. And here it's the, the dreaded question where it's open-ended and you get to fill in the blank. Whatever you want, whatever you think should happen to them, you get to say it. What do they deserve? So I'm laying that out to you today. It's easy, I think. You tell me, what do you think these men deserve? 
Think about that. In your, in your mind, what would you do to these men who's killed servant after servant after servant after servant after servant and then they brutally killed the son? What do you think they deserve? I think it's easy. I don't think anybody in here would say, I don't know, you know. Maybe he should just let them go. Anybody here think they just let them go? Anybody in here think just give them one more chance? One chance was mercy. And he gave them chance after chance after chance. How merciful is God? Nobody would say that punishment for them would be too harsh. I don't believe in punishing people. Nobody would say that. Is there somebody in here saying Because you hear that, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get you to think about this, but these are the responses I get when, when I talk about hell out there. When people hear that I'm a hellfire and brimstone preacher, they look at me and they say, I don't know about punishment. I, I don't know. I, I think God should be more merciful to us. I, I, I think that, I, I don't think I believe in hell. I think He's just going to let us all in heaven. I don't think anybody deserves punishment, but maybe Hitler, maybe him. I just don't believe in it. But you look at this story here, and he's laying it on them. You tell me what these guys deserve. And the answer is, and I think my kids would get this, little Emma would get this. These guys deserve the full force of judgment. The owner must act or he's not a just owner. He must punish these men. He can't let it go. Why do we make this so hard? Why don't we want to hear about punishment and judgment? It's obvious to me, as it would be to them, that anyone and everyone who rejects the Son deserves the fullness of divine punishment. You say, well, I didn't kill anybody. I, I, I didn't kill a servant. I, I didn't kill the next servant. I, I didn't brutally put Jesus on the cross. That's, that's, that, that's the worst of the worst. The worst of the worst is rejecting Jesus Christ. It doesn't get any lower. It doesn't get any worse than you seeing who Jesus is, knowing God's sinning, and you openly rejecting Him. It's a soul-damning sin. And anyone and everyone who rejects the Son deserves judgment. Anybody can see that. Even these blind leaders, look what they say, they answer. Even they know it. And Jesus is, 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 is getting them. He, I will not say tricking them. He's using the story to get them to, to say, oh, I see now. This is the way I've done. This is what I deserve. Watch what they say. They're fired up. And this whole story was meant to fire them up. So they give a quick answer. They, again, they don't have to huddle. They, they, they understand. And they say unto him, verse 41, He will miserably destroy those wicked men. Which in Josh's language would be, those bad men deserve a bad end. That's what they deserve. He needs to come back, and he needs to completely wipe them out. It's reasonable. It's right. They would sit there and say, that should have been done a long time ago, before, before he even sent the second servant. 
The owner has every right to destroy them. Why? Because they rejected his son. They killed the owner's son. And then they add, and I'll, I'll move to the third point. And then he'll find, he needs to find somebody else to take care of his vineyard. <laughs> That's what it says. He'll miserably destroy those wicked men. And then he's going to give his vineyard to everybody, somebody else that will take care of it and, and give him fruit. That's what he's saying there. He's going to give it to somebody who will listen to the owner and reverence the son. So these leaders, in saying that, they just condemn themselves and reveal their own heart. Let's move to the last point, and we'll close. Which last point? We're, we still got time. I showed you the sad story. I showed you the serious question that he asks. Now I want to show you the spiritual explanation that he gives, because now he goes to explain what all this means. And Jesus saith unto them, "Did you never read in the scriptures?" That's like asking, because he knew they'd read the scriptures. I mean, they, they were experts at what they did for a living was read the Bible. That's like looking at LeBron James and saying, have you never dribbled a, a basketball before? Knowing full well that he has. I mean, so what you're saying is, if I looked at LeBron James and said, ain't you ever dribbled a basketball before? I'm looking at him saying, you should not you should know how to do this. It's basic, it's simple. So he looks at them and says, have you not read the Bible before? And I mean, this is kind of... Uh, a low dig that he takes at him, and then he quotes scripture. He quotes Psalm 118. The stone, and then this is a quote the stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. You say, What is this? The builders rejected a stone. So somebody's going to build a house. He goes from building a vineyard to building a house, and, and he's quoting against Psalm 118, and he's, and he's saying the builders were, were building. It's starting out at the foundation, and the most important part of, of building a house, and I know very little about building a house, but I know this, that the most important part for them was the cornerstone. If the cornerstone wasn't right, then the whole structure would be off. So they had to have the right cornerstone. It had to be perfect. It had to be balanced. It had to be, everything had to be just right. And he's saying there that the builders saw the perfect cornerstone. They measured it. They looked at it. They knew it was perfect. And they cast it aside like it was worthless. You say, what has that got to do with anything? Just like the builders rejected the stone and the workers rejected the sun, you guys have rejected the Savior. They had, these, these Jewish leaders, had completely and totally checked Jesus out. They'd watched his life for 30 years. They'd watched his ministry for three years. They'd seen his miracles. They'd heard his words and his teachings. They saw how people responded to him. They knew that he was perfect in every single way, that he never did anything wrong. They, they, they knew it all. They, they full understanding of who he is and what he came to do. The head of the corner. The, the stone. The Son and the Savior. And they discarded him like he was nothing. I'm going to stop here just for a second. This is all about Jesus here. Again, he's the son, he's the stone, he's the savior, and there are multitudes of people who have rejected him. This is, 
that know full well who He is. This is in, in churches today. Knowing full well who Jesus is, what He said, what He did, and they take Him, discard Him like He's nothing. In churches today, discard Him like He's nothing. People in here today, discard Him like He's nothing. Knowing full well who He is. And they toss Him aside like He's a piece of trash. That's exactly what they've done to Jesus. I hope that's not what you've done with Jesus. Because after He says that, that's what He's saying. You've rejected. So here's now what I'm going to do. Watch what it says. Verse 43. Therefore I say unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and be given to a nation bringing forth fruits thereof. He says, I'm going to take the kingdom from you. You, you don't have it. And I'm going to give it to the repenters. Get, get this. I'm going to take it from the rejectors and I'm going to give it to the repenters. You hear me say that again? I'm going to take it from the rejectors. Those, those who reject Jesus don't have the kingdom. I'm going to give it to, and it belongs to, those who repent and believe in Christ. So there's, there's those who, who put their faith in Christ get to go to heaven, and those who reject Him are going to go to hell. There's your hellfire and brimstone. That's how it works. I'm, I'm taking it from the, the Israelites, the, the Jewish religious system, and, and you're not going to have it anymore. And I'm moving it all from those who now will receive it. I'm taking it to the world now, to the Gentiles, to the, the prostitutes and the, and the harlots and the tax collectors, those who believe in Jesus and respond by faith. I'll give it to them. That's what he's saying here. Those who put their faith in Christ, who accept Him, the kingdom belongs to them. Those who bring forth fruits of repentance, I'll give it to them. Those who believe, get heaven. And those who reject, get hell. That's what he's saying here. I'm replacing you. And then he turns and he says, I like that nation bringing forth fruits thereof. And boy, there are fruits in the Gentile world across the globe who've accepted and put their faith in Christ. And you have a whole Jewish world that's still rejecting Him. And then he says, verse 44, And whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken. But on whomsoever it shall fall, it'll grind them to pieces, to powder. Those that, and both of those are terms of rejection. Those who fall on the stone, those who trip over Jesus. And then those who it falls on. Those who reject Jesus. And this is Ugly. Heartbreaking. The language he uses here isn't hellfire and isn't brimstone. It's crushing to pieces. It's grinding into powder. That you would take a, something and stomp it to the point where it's nothing but powder and then it would blow away. It's a violent ending. It's exactly what they said, miserably destroy this is what happens to all those who reject Jesus. You need to understand that. 
This is what happens to all those who reject Jesus. It's a, it's a picture showing us a terrible ending for those who reject Christ. I'm going to give you another point. I just added this one this morning. I've showed you the, the sad story. And I think I've got, still got time. I think it's going slower than my clock, I think. <laughs> I showed you the sad story that Jesus tells, the serious question that Jesus asks, the spiritual explanation that Jesus gives. I want to show you the scary ending. The scary ending. Verse 45. This is the scariest part of the story to me. And when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, <laughs> I don't think you can miss this. They looked at each other and they said, I think he's talking about us. You have to get there. That's the conviction. I like this story convicted them. I know that we've worked our way through this story. It's not been a fun one. There's been things going here and there and all over the place. But they're sitting there listening to that story. And they're, they're like, I don't think he's really talking about a vineyard owner. <laughs> I don't think he's talking about somebody out there. I don't think he's talking about somebody else. I think he's talking about us. I think we're the ones that are killing the servants. I think we're the ones that are rejecting the son. I think he's talking about me. There's conviction there. It's me. I don't want to go back to the Old Testament when David had his thing with Bathsheba, committed adultery, and he had his murder of her husband. And Nathan came to David and he didn't look at him and say, Hey buddy, you've been doing wrong. He told him a parable about sheep. Of a guy who had all kinds of sheep. And he took somebody else's. And he looked at David and he said, What would you do? Oh, I'd kill that guy. He deserves punishment. Then Nathan looked at him and said, That guy's you. And David wept sore. Conviction. Took a story to see the truth. So these guys see the story, hear the story, and they look at each other, these, these priests and Pharisees. They heard it. And they said, I think he's talking about us. I don't know if we ever get to that point in churches today. When you hear a sermon, or you hear a truth, or you're reading your Bible, and it clicks in your mind, that's talking about me. God's talking to me through that. We spend time reading it thinking that should be for somebody else. <laughs> They're talking about somebody else. That preacher, he's really hammering somebody today. And I do that as a preacher. I'll sit back there in my study and I'll say, boy, that's going to be good for them to hear. Boy, I hope they're in church today so they'll hear that. Boy, I hope they're watching online. They really need it. But how often do we look at it and say, I think... That's talking about me. And I need to do something. So there's conviction. Maybe some of you here today are sitting there thinking, because you have to get there. There's people in here who think they've accepted Christ. 
And it takes the work of the Holy Spirit to make you see I've really rejected him. He's talking about me. But there's a big jump from conviction to conversion. Because they don't go there. You would think they'd act like David. You'd think they'd say, oh, it's me. I, I see now my sin and I'm, I'm sorry for it. And I, I, I repent and I, I believe in the Son. I'll, I'll do whatever it takes. But instead, the conviction doesn't lead to conversion. The conviction leads to the scariest part. That they double down in their hatred of Jesus. It doesn't soften their hearts. It hardens it. Preaching hellfire and brimstone. Get this. Will either soften your hearts or harden your hearts. Here, it hardened them. Because look what they do. But when they sought to lay hands on him, they wanted to do exactly what Jesus had just said they was going to do to him. Grab the son, take him outside the city, and destroy him. They didn't change their ways. For me, this is unbelievable unbelief. It's stubborn. It's willful. It's rejecting of Christ. And it's a scary place to be. I think it's probably the scariest place to be. That you would see fully, and they did. And they would hear it completely, and they did. And there would even be some conviction there. This is me. And they'd still reject Jesus. They saw the punishment that was on its way. They knew that there was hellfire and brimstone to pay. They knew it would be crushing. They knew it would be an unbelievable, unbearable punishment one day. They understood that. And they looked at Jesus and they said, We want to kill Him. We'll do anything we can to silence that man. That conviction is too much for us. He needs to be quiet. We do that in church. I don't know if you guys understand that. I've done it. People talking about a difficult subject that I don't want to hear. I find me something else to do. I'll start checking my phone out. Anything to turn off the things we don't like. That's what they're doing. We'll do anything not to listen to this. We'll kill him. Why didn't they? Because they feared the multitude because they thought he was a prophet. This is a scary place to be. So let me close. I'll give you four points and I've still got a little bit of hourglass left. How patient has God been with us? And I, I want to say this, that it's, it's, I'm not just saying us. How patient has God been with you? And I don't, I don't even mean that in salvation. How patient has God been with you in certain areas of your life where he's convicted you of this and he's convicted you of that and he's not punished you. And he keeps on, you know what he does? He keeps on sending messengers. 
This is, this is what He does. He keeps on uh, showing you in His Word and letting the Spirit see and convict you of your sin. And even in sermons that are preached, God keeps saying, this is wrong, and this is wrong, and, and this is wrong. And he, and he goes the second mile, and the third mile, and the fourth mile, and the fifth mile. You need to do something about this. Our God is long-suffering and patient, but there comes a point in time when God says, enough is enough. And after you reject one, and after you reject two, your heart doesn't get softer. It only gets harder. And before you know it, you're too far gone. You're in deep. How patient has God been with us? He sent His Old Testament prophets. We have the whole Old Testament. He sent us John the Baptist as the forerunner of Jesus. And He sent us Jesus. He sent us uh, New Testament preachers. America has been so blessed with preaching. Preacher, I could go through a history of them. And now, America doesn't want to have anything to do with a hellfire and brimstone preacher. Nothing. To the point where you meet somebody and they say, you ain't one of those, are you? <laughs> Rejecting God's message over and over and over and over. Nations do this. There's people standing up in pulpits today preaching the gospel judgment of God and a nation rejects it and God is being incredibly patient with our nation but how much longer to where he says enough is enough but churches this happens to churches and you guys can probably name churches that this has happened to where preachers come in and they open up the word of God and they say God said this <laughs> And the people in the pulpit and the pews don't have anything to do with it. So they say, we're sending you out and getting us another one. We want one that doesn't say, God said this. We want one that says, we want you to say this. <laughs> they got rid of one preacher and God sends them another one. They get rid of another one, God sends them another one. They get rid of one, and God sends them another. Two, three, four, five, year after year after year. And God's incredibly patient. But at some point, God says enough is enough. And he says, that church is... Nothing. It's easy to stop listening to God and say, I don't want to hear it no more. That's rejection. Or you only want to hear what you want to hear. It's not that we reject completely what God says. It's we reject the parts of what God says that makes us feel uncomfortable. Amen. I don't think there's many people here that will say, I reject everything God says. It's just what God says that makes us feel uncomfortable that we say, I don't want that. That's why there's so many churches today. You've got all kinds of options. I'll find me one that preaches how I want, to, I want to be preached to. And if I go to that one and he preaches hellfire and brimstone and I like hellfire and brimstone, I'll find me one that preaches my best life now, positive and encouraging. And I walk out feeling great about myself and never heard the word hell or damnation or judgment or sin or guilt. I'll find me one of those comfortable churches. Because I don't want to hear the uncomfortable things. You need to find a church that says, here's what God says, one way or the other, like it or lump it. Even the hellfire and brimstone. How much longer will God give a nation? How much longer will God give churches? How much longer will God give you Maybe you're here today and you've had pleadings and you've had promptings and you rejected it. 
Maybe you're here today and you've had, I put these words together, wooings and warnings. That's what the Spirit does. He woos you and warns you. He pleads with you and He prompts you. And you've heard it and you've had it and you've understood it and you've rejected it over and over and over. And here you are today and an incredibly patient God gives you another chance. And you've taken for granted all these chances that He's given you. There's only so many servants that He sends. There's there's a son that He sends. And then ultimately one day God's going to show up and He's going to take account. How much longer is God going to give you? You sitting here today who's rejected Christ over and over and over and over, how much longer is he going to give you? How much longer is he going to give you? How much longer is he going to give you? Do not test the patience of God. How much longer is he going to give you? He may give you over and over and over. You may be on your deathbed and he gives you chance after chance after chance. But one day, God's patience wears out and he says, enough is enough. And God doesn't have to give any one of us a chance. He doesn't owe any of us nothing. One chance is mercy. Two chances is abundant mercy. He's given us more than we could ever imagine. Chances. And here you are today and there's another chance. And I'm, I'm, I'm sure there's an unbeliever in this room today. And he's giving you a chance. To either reject the Son or accept the Son. And I plead with you and I prompt you and I warn you and I woo you. Please say yes to Jesus. Because you don't want to face what happens if you reject Him. You say, what is that? If you reject the stone, if you reject the Son, if you reject the Savior... It's a one-way ticket to hellfire and brimstone. And it's completely deserved. So I urge you today, this is serious. And maybe you don't take it as such, but this is as serious as it gets. Your response to Jesus determines your eternity. So what will you do today? I urge you today, anyone in here who has any doubt, maybe you're sitting there, And for the first time, you're saying, he's talking about me. And that conviction is there. I've rejected the son. I've rejected the son. Then I urge you today, if there's even a question, maybe he's talking about me. I wouldn't walk out of here until I knew. If if I'm talking about you, if this is about you, if the spirit is, is convicting you, Please say yes to Jesus. Please say yes to Jesus. Do what that song said. I appreciate Brandon. I think he reads ahead on what we're going to preach on Sunday. I've decided to follow Jesus. Say yes to Jesus. Today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the time in your word today. I know it wasn't easy. This wasn't easy for me to study. It wasn't easy for me to preach. I don't find this fun, God. You know that. I would much rather turn to another passage and preach something easy. Preach something that's going to get a bunch of amens. Preach something that's going to get me a pat on the back. That's my flesh. I'd rather preach something that's going to draw a crowd and get get views on Facebook. That's my flesh. 
I like to be liked. This wasn't easy for me. But God, I pray that you would uh, use it to convict those here today who have rejected your son. That they would today say yes to Jesus. And God, it's that simple. It's, it, it's, it's not much harder than yes to Jesus. Just in a prayer right now as they're sitting there, yes. I put my full faith and trust in Christ. And I will not side with the rejectors. But I will side with the ones who accept him. God, because Jesus said, if you're not with me, you're against me. So you're either accepting the son or you're rejecting the son. There is no middle ground. So God, I pray that you'll convict by your spirit today. And work in hearts. And woo and warn. And prompt and plead. So that in this room today, someone would put their faith in Christ. And God, I pray that as Christians that we would please help us to have soft hearts. That we would listen to your word and we'd obey it. That we would never try to silence the conviction and the hard stuff. So God, work in hearts here this morning. And we ask and we pray these things in in Jesus' name. Amen.